Hello and welcome to the 28th episode of Breaching Extinction. This week I had the pleasure of chatting with Alexander Johnston, one of the executive producers of the documentary Searching for Chinook. She shares a little bit about the process of this film, her thoughts, and what she thinks we need to do moving forward. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. So give us a little brief introduction. Who are you and what are you working on? Okay, so I'm Alexandra Johnston and I'm working on a film called Searching for Chinook, which is the plight of the remaining southern resident killer whales. Awesome. Um, So tell us a little bit more about this project, how you came... um, to get involved with it? Was there like a particular experience that motivated you or um, is this something you've kind of always had a passion for? Yeah, so I have definitely always had a passion for marine life, for dolphins. Um, My background really is with Dolphin Project, which is a organization that a lot of my work was in Taiji uh, in Japan, which was documenting the dolphin slaughters and the hunts that take place there. So really primarily an activist background. Um, And then my day job was working as a talent manager in the entertainment industry. So I was managing actors. Um, And then I kind of, with this, I've definitely tried to combine the two. Mm -hmm. So it's like my two loves, which is marine life and then entertainment industry. Um, But how Searching for Chinook got started was... I was, the first time I went to Salmon Islands was 2016 and I was there with Dolphin Project um, at an event called Superpod. Mm-hmm. You know, Superpod is like a place where we can all geek out together about yeah. the residents. Um, yeah, so I, that was the first time I ever got to see the Southern residents and I was just, I guess like everybody when, when you first see them that you, I don't know, something happens. It was just, I was just, like this is incredible this is the most mesmerizing experience the surround like the island is so beautiful the whales are so beautiful and I just couldn't believe that they were endangered I was just like how is this possible and then I took my uh friend Maisie Williams who's also an exec producer from the documentary back, back with me to the island um and she fell in love with it too she fell in love with the whales too and I said look I really think we need to do something and that's how the documentary started was that we took this trip there we went out with Maya's legacy and um actually it was the day that they discovered that j52 sonic was missing mm-hmm. um and it was that realization that if we don't do something they they're gonna keep going missing and keep going missing and i couldn't bear that so i was like okay we're gonna do something to raise some awareness That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's a fairly common experience. When people go there, they just fall in love with it, because how can you not? They're really amazing animals. So what are your goals with this project, and why is it important that people hear the the story of the Southern residents in the Chinook? Yeah. I mean, my goal is just, I guess the same as everybody, is that we want to save the Southern residents. We want to see them not only survive, we want to see them thriving. Mm -hmm. Um. And it's really with this film, I hope that it has an impact Mm -hmm. and not just an impact on the people that already know the story, because there's this wonderful community of people that are championing these whales and have been for years. But we need to reach people that don't know. And maybe if they do know, they'll use their voice to take action and 
educate people and spread awareness. So that's really my goal is to have a global impact um, and yeah, and educate people. And it would just be such a shame if this one part of Wales, if this family, if we can't save them in the grand scheme of all the problems in the world, I just, I just think it would be a disaster. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And, you know, I feel you that it's it's really easy to talk to whale people and get whale people excited about whales. Um, and I'm yeah. really glad that you're trying to fill that gap because, you know, through the course of this project, that's one of the things that, you know, I found is this is a very group of passionate people, but how do we further expand past that and get other people to care or gain interest or at least just be aware? Um, so, you know, what? how do you guys plan to reach like non-whale people? Well, hopefully through the way that we've filmed Searching for Chinook, Mm -hmm. because this isn't just a story about the Southern residents. This is also a story about the people, this community that we just spoke about that are trying to save them. And, you know, you have scientists like Dr. Jebra Giles, you've got PNW protectors, you've got this amazing group of people that are throwing themselves into 100% dedicating every day to trying to protect and save these whales and it's also telling that story for them too Mm. yeah absolutely I mean I think the people and the whales are like an equally important part of it but I think you know there's there's an effect that um I don't know, just like when you see somebody else get so inspired, that can be inspiring as well. And like, it's honestly contagious. So hopefully you guys can definitely spread that. Um, That's really awesome. So are you guys primarily focusing on the salmon or the orca or people or just kind of all of it? I Well, so we're in post-production at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing with this documentary is that when we set out to film the story this was we we got there the summer that um j35 was carrying her calf that j50 got sick and so we were really in the thick of all these unprecedented things mm-hmm. and so everything that we had any idea that we had about how we were going to film this documentary just went out of the window and we were like okay it's all hands on deck we just need to go with the flow of this um and so now we're really just figuring out in in the edit really how we're gonna how we take this but i'd say it's everything combined because everybody is an important component in this it's important that people get to see the whales and fall in love with the whales it's important that people know the incredible things that the community is doing and it's also really important that people know how special salmon are because i feel like salmon don't get the the good reputation that they should i guess because they're not maybe like I don't know, maybe not attractive to talk about. (laughs) So salmon kind of get glazed over, but really they're an incredible species. Um, So, yeah. Nice. So, you know, obviously probably most of the people that have listened to this podcast and are interested in this work know that the salmon are endangered, the orca eat the salmon, and that's why we don't, um, why they're endangered. So um, through this documentary, why have you found that the salmon are unable to recover? And what needs to be done to recover those salmon? Yeah, I think the one thing about this documentary, it's really shown me. So the, the you're not trying to discover the answer because the answer is very simple. Mm-hmm. 
the whales need more Chinook. They need more salmon. So we know that. We knew that from the get-go. But what you have is this huge web of complex details, including politics and industries and money. And that's where it all becomes really complicated. And that was the one thing trying to navigate throughout filming was, okay, well, we know that they need more Mm -hmm. You know, we know we need to breach the dams. We know we need to, people need to shop more sustainably. Um, my my point was, sorry, my point was, is that it's a man-made problem. Mm-hmm. It's a man-made extinction. And so therefore we can't sit by and let that happen. And it it's our job to either step out of the way and let the whales and the salmon recover or remove the barriers and blocks that we have put in place like overfishing like the dams so yeah it's in my eyes it's we either let nature take its course in the way that we let the salmon recover we stop fishing them or we remove the bias that we put in place I think that's what needs to happen yeah ultimately I agree and based on everyone that we've talked to and um like through this project and looking at the science which is you know fundamentally where we should kind of put our choices it seems like the dams need to go down and we need to prioritize the salmon to prioritize the orcas um and it Mm -hmm. seems as though a lot of people's goal is to that by raising awareness then be content then we can turn that awareness into putting public pressure on politicians is this something that um maybe you like see yourself pushing for like in the documentary towards the end maybe like you know encouraging people to do this absolutely because like i said i come from an activist background and so we all have a voice and it's really important how you use that voice. And I think it's, maybe people don't realize that this is a global issue and you don't have to be from Washington state to call up the senators and put your point of view across. I've done it from the UK. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it is important to let everybody know that you can use your voice and let them know in which way they can use it. Yeah. And put that pressure on, cause that's what's needed. You know, the government work for the public Mm -hmm. so we have to say what we want to happen in order to do that yeah absolutely um the next question I had which you've kind of already answered a little bit um on your website it says like there's a quote that says why when um the solutions are so clear is effective action not being taken um Mm -hmm. are you better able to answer that question now or do you have any further thoughts kind of on that I think when when we were filming, it was such a huge learning curve because mm. that was the one question we were asking everybody when we spoke to to Noah to Army Corps. It's like, why why is action not being taken? And now it's it's so clear that you know they're all blatantly violating the Endangered Species Act, and that's when it becomes political. That's when industries are involved, and so that's not necessarily. I don't know that that question's necessarily been answered, but you can see, it's hard to explain that you can see the outcome and you can see what's going on, but you can't necessarily get an answer from these people. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've noticed that's really difficult too is, and like, you know, we should be able to go to our government and to these agencies and expect transparency and that's not something that we get. Um, unfortunately, yeah. and like, you know, I don't necessarily believe in using shame and blame as a, a tool because I feel like it's very unproductive, but, you know, we need to hold these entities accountable, essentially. Um, 
And so for you guys, at least what I found is it seems as though it's NOAA, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and Bonneville Power Association. Were there any other entities that you feel kind of, you know, need to further explain their point of view and or be held accountable? Yeah, well, I tried multiple times um, to reach out to Governor Inslee, and Mm. he declined to talk every single time. Um, And it was, we did speak with Noah, but I feel now that we're further on, and there's obviously several lawsuits that that have happened with them, that there needs to be more pressure put on these people. Absolutely. Um, So I'm not familiar with the lawsuits that you're talking about. Can you fill me in on that? Yes. So there's been, I think, two lawsuits, and one happened while we were on the island and one recently and I think these are both regarding the them mm-hmm. violating the Endangered Species Act and not and not playing their part to recover the salmon and the whales. Okay. And it's is it a conservation organization coming after them or is it an individual? It's an organization, I think, yeah. Okay. Awesome. I think that that's something that we need to to further look into. Just, you know, throughout this project I've talked to a lot of different people and I think that's that's one of the next steps that we need to look at to, you know, maybe be effective. Um, So obviously it's like these entities that are not being accountable is, is what's getting in the way. Um, You know, a lot of the things that we found is that like this, you know, from a scientific standpoint, a social standpoint, an economic standpoint, it makes sense to breach the dams. Have you found that to be true um, throughout the course of your work as well? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, one thing, um, about this i'm not a scientist mm-hmm. i'm not a marine biologist um but i do passionately care about these whales um and from all the information that i've been given which was a hell of a lot you know we there was it was like we opened a can of worms when we spent that summer on the island trying to figure out what was going on with these whales and how do we help mm-hmm. um but even and what i'm saying is even for somebody like me who was relatively new to this situation it was so clear and so evident that, that breaching the dams is the best thing to do from all angles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why is it important that we save these animals? Why should people care about them? You know, when people say that, the thing that I just, I think, well, why, why wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Why, would, why wouldn't we want to save this genetically distinct, unique beautiful family of whales that we had thousands of years before we were you know and it's not a natural process we we did this this mm-hmm. is all man-made human impact so why would we not want to protect you know these iconic mm-hmm. this i just it baffles me that people would even not care yeah to, to try <laughs> i think it's it's difficult to get people to care if they come from somewhere else and they haven't seen it and maybe they don't have a vested interest um, in animals, but it is astonishing how once you open up that door and you share the story with people and you share photos and videos that even like people that maybe have zero interest at all kind of do develop that sort of love for them and that appreciation. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it just, at the very least an appreciation for them. Yeah, like if more people know, I think more people will care. Like it's not hard to care about these whales once you once you see who they are and you know who they are, you care. Um, yeah, and I think I think most people do and would. It's just 
a lot of people don't know. Yeah. You know, especially maybe a lot of people in Washington State know or in Canada know, but you know, I'm over in the UK and mm-hmm. why why would UK news be talking about these whales over in the Salish Sea? Right. So it's it's trying to just make sure that everybody knows and everybody has the education and awareness to know what to do to help. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything that you've learned from this project that you didn't expect to learn? Aye, aye, aye. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I did. I, do you know what? I learned a lot about myself filming it because this was my first big filming project. And <laughs> so many times when I just wanted to, what I probably did, just break down and cry because I was just there was so much going on. There was everything. I think I'm emotionally invested in this as a, a person. I'm not just a filmmaker coming in, just, you know, filming it for the sake of it. I'm, I'm with every part of my being want to save these whales. And so at some days it was really hard to know that J35 was carrying her calf, but then think, okay, what do we need to get on camera? Yeah. And those days I learned that actually I'm, I can be tough and I can be tenacious and I can get things done when I need to. Um, And also just the balance that I feel like I learned from the whales and the salmon because of the the balance, the way they live. And Mm -hmm. I I just learned more about human greed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What did you learn about human greed? Well, I just, they've, evolved in this way that is so peaceful the way they live and it's almost like they take what they need and everything has its place and everything is in order and then we come and we take fish and we take so much fish and we put up dams because we want this and we want things done like we want things done our way and it's all down to what we want rather than what we need Mm -hmm. as humans and I think I just wish that we could take a step back, which I guess we kind of are now because it's strange tides at the minute and everybody's having to reevaluate how they live day to day and maybe live a bit more simpler. But I think there could be some good in that. Yeah, I agree. And I that's kind of been a theme throughout the interviews that I've had during this time is, you know, you can use it to think about the way that you live and your values and realign because I think you know, in the day-to-day and your routine, sometimes you forget what's important at the end of the day. You know, if you didn't have your routine, what else do you have? And now you don't have your routine. So what do you have? Um, And what's worth keeping? I think the whales are worth keeping. Um, But (laughs) so do I. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think this is a really good time for like, you know, deep introspection, but also brainstorming for obviously I don't think that we're going to get anyone to like get fired up about the whales right now because they're focused on their own survival during this time but I feel like everybody else like we can kind of we can use this time to come together and like brainstorm and be like okay like how are we gonna like execute to get these whales saved once all of this is you know done and over with yeah um so what was the most challenging part about making this film I think kind of like I referenced before was we were really in the thick of it that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go in there knowing, okay, well, 
we know they need more food. That's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And then there's this huge web of complex issues that are, have layers to them and become political and involve industries and involve a lot of money. So trying to navigate that and think, okay, as a filmmaker, I have to take all of these issues, which there's a lot of when it comes to the residents. It is really mm-hmm. complex. Um, and then I have to almost, I guess, pick and choose, but what do the audience get to see? How much do they need to know? Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's all important and it's all really interesting. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I gave them all the information, it would be like a two-week documentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to put it into a couple of hours and fine-tune what's, what's really essential and also what will grab them and and keep them watching and make them care that was the challenge and still the challenge I guess in post-production um yeah and it was a big learning curve for us you know you got you go there and I know as much as I can about marine life and these whales but you learn so much about the issues and some days it's really overwhelming (laughs) yeah it definitely can be I like you know, I have a, another contributor on this project and her and I have definitely had those experiences too of like when, like, you know, when you see some, like, when you're doing the research and you see what these whales have been through, it can be heart-wrenching. And then when you see how valuable they are and the right actions not being taken, that can also be heart-wrenching. So I, I can completely understand where you're coming from. Have you mm-hmm. found, like, what have you found that's the most rewarding or inspiring that's come out of this project? Definitely the people the people that we spent our time filming with on the island were just oh, such incredible human beings. They were so kind. They, everybody welcomed us with open arms. And, you know, like I referenced for Dr. Giles, Snow and Sai from PNW Protectors, Ken Balkan. We filmed with this family, um, the Fletchers, Liz Dole in London. And everybody to me is now like family. And I just, they made the experience so much easier um because they were so kind and and also just watching how much they love the whales and how much time they dedicate um was really incredible as well so yeah it was definitely the people yeah i i totally agree with you i'm like i've talked to about half of the people like that you just listed and i'm in mm-hmm. contact with the others and like all of those conversations are nothing short of like inspiring and heartwarming but it's just like these people live in the way that the orcas live. Like, they live cooperatively. They want to share. They, like, you know, they have that common goal. And that's, like, one of the really beautiful parts about this journey. Um, and it's cool that, like, you got to be, you know, a part of that community. Um, is there anything, like, anything else that you kind of took away from this experience that was particularly positive? I think it, from when we first started this journey, because... This has been a few years in the making for me now and the amount of positive change and the amount that the, the momentum to try and save these wells has grown has been really positive mm-hmm. because more and more people know and more and more people are talking about it and that's what we want so that's definitely been a positive thing absolutely so what do you think at this point it's going to take to conserve the orcas and the salmon i feel like you've kind of answered that throughout the the course of this interview but um just kind of like reiterate what people can do kind of definitively 
yeah, I mean, use your voice. That's the, the biggest thing that I would say. You know, physically, we, I mean, I would if I could, but we can't breach the dams ourselves, but we can make a lot of noise so that they know that that's how we feel and that we want to. Um, you know, and watch how, how you spend your money. Do you shop sustainably for salmon? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. And salmon, uh, salmon sold worldwide. So make sure that what you buy, I'm vegan, so I don't eat salmon. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to do that, make sure that you're not buying potential food that's there for the residents. Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of shocked to see um, that there are whale watching companies in the San Juans that also um, fish for salmon. Obviously that's not the norm, but they're like, mm. it's kind of shocking to see that. And that, you know, even though this species is endangered, they're still being fished. Like that's just astonishing to me. And I think it's just because again, that lack of awareness, um, and yeah. you know, once you have that awareness, then, you know, more people will hold others accountable. Uh, but I mean, if the orca, no one could t- like, no one could hunt an endangered like lion or a leopard without like somebody freaking out like so we got to make sure that we're we're just as jazzed about the salmon as we are those big charismatic mammals absolutely and you're so right when you say about holding people accountable that's Mm -hmm. absolutely what we have to do and so when i say use your voice that's absolutely how you should be using it as well awesome yeah um so you said you're in post-production um now so when and where will your film be available well, given the the current <laughs> world situation, we so we're still going to be in post production for a while. So as soon as we have a date, I will let everybody know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have something to share with everybody in May. So I, I can't say what it is yet, but we'll have yeah something to share with everybody in May. Yeah, I'm, very I'm excited. super excited. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so what this is something that I always ask people is what can we learn from the whales but because you also focus on the salmon I want to know what you think we can learn from the salmon too yeah no I think that's kind of what I said before and it's balance you Mm -hmm. know how the way they live it's Mm -hmm. all about balance and I think that's what we all need to get back to absolutely um and I think it's really as simple it's really as simple as that is that you know they found a way to survive for thousands of years without causing destruction yeah so i think we can we could really take from that i think so too and i i honestly think you know one of the questions that i've been contemplating throughout the course of this is like what makes humans different than other animals and really the only answer that i can truly find is our ability to destroy ourselves and destroy others because i don't see other animals doing well i mean there's like infanticide and and things like that but like holistically there's no that's what makes humans unique is is the ability to destroy yeah (laughs) i think we get too brainy like i don't know what it is like we think we're you know because that we have this these intellectual capacities that we are somehow better or greater and i think that we're just different and you know i had i just talked to Lori marino about that because she's a neurobiologist and she kind of expressed her thoughts on um how whales perceive the world i think our perception is different we need to switch that it's really it's quite dumb to destroy ourselves the way that we do 
So. I know they just seem so pure, don't they? And mm. I feel I feel like we're not. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, we're primates. I've always like wondered. I'm like, what if whales had you know the thumbs? What if they were the ones that were like in charge? And maybe they are a little bit you know more evolved in the sense that that they don't use their their cognition or their power to um, try to take over. That's you're right. That's totally the point. It's balance, like and yeah. having like mutually existing with the rest of the world. <laughs> Yeah, and it just, that, that's what really gets to me. It's all they're t- trying to do is eat. <laughs> yeah. It's all they're trying to do, and we can't let them do that. <laughs> yeah. So. And, you know, you had mentioned earlier, you said during this time, you know, people are just, they're living with less, and, like, that wasn't really a thought that had occurred to me until until now. Like, we're living with, like, less activities, less things. And, you know, I'm hoping maybe that people see the, that you don't need as much and that, like, things actually overcomplicate things. And, hopefully that could contribute to maybe this idea of balance where, you know, you have less and, and that makes you a better part of like the kind of eco community, if you will. Yeah. I do know. I've spoken to a lot of people who they don't want it to go back to their way that it was before. Oh, I don't either. Yeah. What I mean, thoughts? minus the sickness. Cause obviously it's, I'm devastated for everybody who's suffering from it, but the rat race that I guess it, that people felt like they were in and, I don't know, I guess the overconsumption of things. I think some people are really enjoying living that simpler life now. Yeah, I think that that's like innately kind of kind of what we're supposed to do and like what we're supposed to be rooted in. And we've gotten off our mm-hmm. path a little bit. And I'm that's one of the things I'm hopeful for through this, that people see that. But I feel the same way, you know. I'm from the East Coast and like it's all hustle and bustle and get things done and wake up at 5 a.m. and like pack your schedule. And this is the first time that I've had weekends um, since I was 17 years old, and I'm 24 now. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, like, and just the concept of days off is is odd, and I'm, you know, I'm realizing it is really important to rest and to do other activities, but I've noticed that with the slower pace of life, the work that I produce is better, like, my mood is better, my health is better, and I think a lot of people are kind of in that same boat, but it's not healthy and there's even science to back that, you know, if you look at neurobiology or just like, you know, medical stuff as well, like psychology, that it's it's all scientifically backed. We're not living the way we're supposed to, but no one will slow down and, and ask that question. How are we supposed to live? Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Well, do you have any like final thoughts or things that you want to share with people? Things that I want to share. I don't know, I guess just. I'd like to thank everybody for their support and, you know, the the love that they've shown the documentary and the support has been so, so appreciated. Mm-hmm. And also within, within the community as well, that's, it's always just been, it's been really uh, an easier experience because of all the people. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, isn't that interesting? That's like a, a theme that keeps coming up is that orcas are cooperative and you're saying that your experience yeah. is better because people are cooperative. Let's, let's adopt that, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thanks for joining us. If you're interested in learning more about this film, please visit www.searchingforshinook.com. If you want to learn more about the Southern residents, find out about previous episodes or organizations that we've worked with, visit www.breachingextinction.com. If you want to continue to support this project, um, please consider pledging on Patreon. You can find the link on our website or just put it in the search bar. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.